book of Colossians. We're looking at this tremendous letter that Paul wrote to a church that he had never seen. Uh, he had never been to Colossae, and we see that in the passage. He talks about Epaphras and what Epaphras had told him. We know that Paul is writing this from Rome. He's writing it to a church that was probably started from Ephesus and from the Ephesian church. And, uh, as, and so we see, though, that uh, it was in the, the Lycus Valley, which was the Silicon Valley of its day. And you had three uh, major towns or cities in that, uh, that area or in that valley that had a great influence and great riches. And that was Hierapolis. Laodicea and Colossae. And we will see him mentioning uh, in the book of Colossae, Laodicea, and how they were to take this letter over to them also. And so, but we know that uh, one of the problems that Laodicea had, and that by extension, the other two churches or the other two cities, was that uh, they were wealthy and they were lukewarm. They, and he says, I would rather to Laodicea, you know what he said to them in uh, Revelation chapter 3 where he said, uh, I wish that you were cold or hot, but you're lukewarm, and I want to spew you out of my mouth. In other words, you're sickening to me. Now, of course, uh, the Lord was saying that he, he wants us to, to be all for him and don't try to play both sides of the fence. But Colossae had its own problems, and this is writing 30 years before, John, uh, before the Lord used John to pen the letter to the Laodiceans. But we see that Colossae now is a church that is filled full or an area that is filled full of challenges from all different directions. You have those who are trying to add to the church as far as add to the message and what works. And we'll see that with Judaism and other things. We see superstitions with the false gods. We see Gnosticism, which is a kind of a worship of the mind. We really can't know or, you know, that we're kind of know-nothings, which is agnostics, but uh, the idea that knowledge is power. And so the more you know, the more godlike you become. And so all these different things are working together or working against the gospel. And so it's a, really, Colossae is a battle for the mind. Uh, and he does, he, he, does, he does talk about actions, but really, you think about spirituality, do we not have problems with our minds? You know, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says, The weapons of our warfare are, not, warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Now, where do we have imaginations? In our fingers? No, in our mind. And so we cast down imaginations and bringing every high thing to the obedience of Christ, every thought to the obedience of Christ. I haven't reached that yet. In fact, my old mind can wander uh, into some pretty strange and terrifying things at times. Um, and so I want to, you know, so really to, to be spiritually minded is to be obedient to Christ, but you've got to know what obedience is, so you've got to know his word. That's why he tells us in Colossians, to let the word of God dwell in us richly, Colossians 3.16. So we can teach others and uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So again, 
we see that our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs should point us or should reinforce what we learn. So all this is a battle for the mind. In saying that, let's begin. And we're going to read the first uh, few verses of the book of Colossians. And uh, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Now notice that Timothy was not an apostle. He did not say <coughs> that uh, Timothy and I as apostles of Christ. He said, Timothy, our brother. There were no apostles after the apostle Paul and the twelve as far as office is concerned. He says, uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Remember that word and can be translated even. So uh, we're talking about Jesus Christ and God the Father are co-equal. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for the, all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also to all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow saint, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, or on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So notice he says that Epaphras was the man, he's the go-between. He's the person who's been telling me all about what's going on in your life, and I rejoice to see and hear all these things, just music to my ears. For this reason, okay, here's the reason he's writing. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the super knowledge. Remember that epigenosco, not Gnosticism, but super Gnosticism. I mean, God wants you to know the, the, the superior knowledge of Christ. And so the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the superior knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, uh, the son of his love and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on uh, earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, those are all ranks of angels or beings, spiritual beings. And notice Jesus Christ created him. All things were created through him and for him. He is also, he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. They all hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, uh, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things 
he may be, that he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all things should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood uh, of his cross. Now that is a mouthful and uh, it's, a, it's a whole study in itself, but he is laying out now to these people why he is writing. And he is, is for this reason, he says, we pray for you that, uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge. And so right there, he's drawing a line. He says, you have no reason to think, or when those people tell you you're just a bunch of dumb Bible thumpers to be ashamed because you don't, those are the people who are ignorant. Those are the people who are fools. Those are the people that you want to love and win to the Lord. You want them to have what you have because you have the superior knowledge. You have the super knowledge. You have the fulfilled knowledge, uh, the, the knowledge that brings answers to life. And the more that we learn, the more that we realize we don't know, uh, especially uh, you know, when they talk about space and Hubble. They, now they found more galaxies out there and all those different things. Well, they've been out there for 6,000 years since he created them, you know, or whatever. Uh, and yet they're finding all these different things out there. Uh, and it's the same way with the word of God. It's so deep and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword that you, in this lifetime, will never learn it all. But the more we know, the more we're going to know about the Lord and his will. Uh, I'm preaching this morning, and I, one reason I don't have a lot of notes, we, you can still use the ones in the paper from last week. But um, uh, I'm into preaching this morning uh, on the waters of salvation, salvation. But in order to understand that passage in Isaiah, you've got to go back and see what he's talking about. And so you got to re-explain to people uh, that don't know, Gentiles who don't know a whole lot about the Old Testament, exactly what he's talking about, the streams of living water that the Lord repeats several times in the New Testament. But it comes from the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament predicts, the New Testament fulfills. And so it explains. And so we see that, uh, uh, but the thing about it is the more I learned the word of God and I say, oh boy, I'm just going to go through the book of Colossians or the book of Isaiah and I'm going to preach on the uh, salvation passages. You get in there and you realize there's, a, there's so much in there that you have to mine in order to bring it into a 30, 40 minute message <coughs> or less that uh, how do you get it all in? You know, it's just, a, just a, there's a gold mine there that, uh, that you can spend, books have written, been written on it. How do, you consist, how do you bring it down to one, you know, one sermon? And so it is with the Word of God. There, just about every passage in the Bible is like that. They're all interconnected. And when you go into one section of the Bible, it will just, all of a sudden you realize, hey, this relates to the other section. And so that's the reason that we have to, that we want to learn the word of God, let the word of God dwell in you richly so that the Holy Spirit can take the word and start applying it to your hearts. It's not enough to know prophecy. It's not enough to know the word. How does it apply to me today? How does it apply to you? What the, it's all scripture is given by the, is God breathed. It is given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable. Then how does it profit me? 
And so that's what I want to do as a pastor is to not only be hungry for the Word of God, but develop a, an appetite for my people to know the Word of God. And how I praise the Lord for those who just, uh, they, uh, they, they want to be here. And that's what I want to see. And those that uh, pray for on the Internet. Now, I'm losing track. I didn't see a whole lot of people this past week uh, on the Internet. But we've had up to 30 people that have been starting. And we have no advertisement or nothing, but they found us. And so... Uh, uh, we're going to be looking for ways of expanding that ministry, but we're looking for people that are hungry, hungry for the Word of God, that either for salvation, they don't know what they're hungry for, but uh, we want to have the answer for the hope that lies within us, for those who come and those that we, that we go to meet. So for this reason, we do not cease to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with this knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy. So there's the application. How do I apply this to the word walk is lifestyle. How do I incorporate this word into my lifestyle? Fully pleasing him, not the world, but pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in that knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, not by my superior knowledge, but by his Holy Spirit or by, it, by the Holy Spirit working my life. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, two of those are what? He's giving us two what? Two fruits of the Spirit. It's the love, joy, peace. And then those are the social. How do I deal with people? How do I, how do I deal with the problems of the world? With not only long-suffering, in other words, and patience. That's a putting up with people but with joy. Right before the service, I just mentioned something that, you know, I said, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you want to pull your hair. Well, all of us are like, we want to pull our hair out or whatever. Uh, and so we see that, uh, how do you put up with people and do it with joy? Uh, now, if, you, if you're on a consistent basis with that and you never have problems with it, let me know. But, uh, but we don't, we all have to, that's the whole reason we have it is to develop long suffering and patience and joy. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. In other words, he's given us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He came into his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the what? The power or the authority to be called children of God. And as children, we have obtained his inheritance. Now, with that, because we are the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness as and conveyed to us the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So first of all, we see that he is our redeemer. Why do we have an inheritance? Because he purchased it. It's his glory. It's, uh, it is he who has redeemed us and that's one of the great words redeemed how i love to proclaim it redeemed by the blood of the lamb redeemed is the idea of buying something it is the idea of purchasing something for a price and we know that uh, jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow so first of all we see uh, we have redemption through his blood now, are we talking about God the Father or God the Son there? We're talking about God the Son, 
correct? Now this is, we're gonna be looking at something where, it, where the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, um, a lot of the Judaizers or the, uh, the people that believe works plus salvation or uh, even uh, some denominations that uh, get this wrong. And as a result, many of them are not saved. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, wait a minute. When you say the, in, the firstborn of all creation, that verse is taken out of context by the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Look, see, he's the firstborn. See, that means he was created. So Jesus Christ was created. And as a result of that, he became a God. That's the way, what the Mormons teach. And as a result of that, uh, man can, uh, sooner or later, if he stays right, if he gets to heaven, he can progress to become a son of God, just like Jesus is. And you women, uh, you come along, and if you marry right and get the right guy, it all depends on him. I, that's one reason I don't understand any, how any modern American woman wants to be a Mormon. You know? <laughs> but there again, I don't understand why they want to be beaten after death by Islam or whatever else, you know, I just uh, doesn't make sense. But uh, the Lord says, uh, you know, as far as salvation and inheritance is concerned, uh, there's many ladies and many of you will probably be a lot closer to the throne of grace than I will be because it's not, doesn't have anything to do with gender. It has to do with, uh, with salvation and with your belief. And so some of you ladies are, I mean, as someone said, uh, that person will be so close to the Lord, I won't even see their, um, see the soles of their feet, you know, as they would bow before the Lord. And so, uh, uh, so, but he is the image of the invisible. Now think about image. Now we know that the word technically is the idea of, and we get the idea of imitate, or the idea of a stamp where you make the U.S. Mint or whatever, and they will have the perfect uh you know, the coin or whatever made. Uh, there's one coin out there now, one of the uh, centennial or the, one of the state uh, quarters that is worth $5,000 now because they made one little mistake on it. Uh, I've got a whole cup of quarters. I thought about going through there, but, you know, uh, but there again, um, it's the idea of image. It's the idea of what is produced by a mold. Now, think about this. He's the image uh, of the of the invisible God, so we have Jesus Christ in Him. Uh, John tells us that we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten fa of the Father, full of grace and truth. So He saw Him, and of course He says in First John, "I saw Him, I touched Him. That which we have seen, we've heard, we've uh, we've heard with our ears, we've seen with our eyes, we've touched Him with our hands, of the Word of Life." He says, "We know who He was." And, uh, and so we, see he, we saw that, you know, so he was the perfect man. And there again, we have to get into what was perfection. He could not have come from a man. For as by one man sent it into the world and death by sin. And that man was Adam. And, but then if you finish up that in Romans chapter 5, we see the second Adam came who was not born of a man. And who was that? Jesus Christ. And so that whole passage depends not only on uh, the virgin birth, but it also depends on creation. Because if Adam didn't come, then who was the one man that sent it into the world? Or if there was an Adam, 
then what, what, when did uh, the half man become ape and then the first man that God said, oh, there he is. Either God did it like he said he did and he spoke people into existence or you really mess up Romans chapter 5, John 3.16 and everything else. I mean, uh, so we see that uh, he's the image of the invisible God. Now, think about this. Image means more than just that though. Because did not God say that he created man in his own image? So we're talking about something more than physical. We're talking about something that is spiritual. And, and there again, every, you know, it's, it's mental. Uh, and there again, how, tell me if we were evolved. Tell me when thought, was, when thought evolved. Tell me when emotions evolved. Tell me from that little, uh, that boom from the universe or whatever, the Big Bang. Tell me when, when uh, genders evolved. And there again, you know, you get into, when you get away from who created it, then you get into all the things, oh, uh, we can believe it, we can believe what we want to do and we can, with our minds, we can make whatever we want to make. No, you become vain in your own imaginations. We go back to he is the image of the invisible God. What does he mean by that? That means, does God have emotion? So that's more than physical. So does God have, uh, does, uh, does God have, does God get angry? Does God uh, get sorrowful? Yes. All the different emotions, the image of God, not only physically, but God gave us the emotions that he has. So it's more than just physical. And of course, Jesus Christ came in the image of man, but he was also God. And so we see that uh, image is more to God than just looking at something and looking, okay, snap it all out. Uh, and with the image of God, think about this also. He made each one of us unique. So we, we didn't come from, from a mold. In a certain way, we did. But even with that, uh, I don't totally understand it, and nobody does. Uh, I've told you about uh, that ophthalmologist just, still just a few weeks, months ago that I was there, and uh, she was, um, and she would always, when anything was decided, of course, the resident or the main doctor would come in, but uh, she would go checking me out. She was uh, just about ready to get her MD, whatever it is that ophthalmologists get, and all she had to do was wait till the next semester, and she was going to be the full-fledged ophthalmologist. And she started talking about uh, her especially was going to be the, uh, the iris. I'm going, what? I said, are there, uh, are there specialties within the specialties? And she said, yeah, there's six different specialties of ophthalmology. I'm going, wow, <laughs> you know, six, I mean, so you can be an ophthalmologist and yet branch out within that ophthalmology into six different areas. I mean, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And they can't even figure me out, let alone you, but God made us. And so I'm in the, God, I'm, God made me. God created me. For the, before the foundations of the earth, he knew I was going to be here in 2023. He knew I was going to be six foot four and shrinking. Uh, he knew that uh, I was going to have the sharpest mind in all the world. No, that's what all of us think. You know, no, we all... <laughs> No, uh, everybody's entitled to my opinion, as, uh, 
as, uh, as David Brinkley used to say in the uh, the news business. But uh, <coughs> he, uh, but we have, um, you know, but we're the, we're in his image, and the, more than just physically, it's mentally and spiritually. And so the one thing that God gave us, and I've mentioned this several times, uh, psychology can only reach the soul, the mind, the being that's going to be forever. But there's a spiritual being, a spiritual part that only God can reach because the natural mind, the natural man receives not the things of God for they are foolishness to him. So we are spiritual beings also. And so we see that we are the, we are the, the image of the invisible God. And then, so we see that Jesus Christ was, of course, we beheld his glory. He was the ultimate image of God. You know, his face shined, all these different things that they saw. They saw his miracles, everything that he could do because he, proved, he was proving that he was God. But then the next phrase, the firstborn of all creation. This is where we have to go back and we'll see. Um, what is he talking about? You define the Bible by the Bible and not from man's fancy imaginations. The firstborn to a Gentile means that my oldest son is the firstborn. And most of the time in the inheritance or whatever, you know, they will mention him. And uh, well, not always. In fact, who's the executor of the estate and all these different things. And uh, a lot of times they'll be fought over by families. You know, sometimes the firstborn doesn't have a lick of sense when it comes to finances and they'll pick out somebody else. But uh, there again, the firstborn always kind of like my wife is the firstborn. And uh, she's got brothers who think, you know, they said, uh, it, like her, now she had a, a, a younger sister who was about a year younger than her, and then she had brothers that were about what ten years younger, and she um, one of her brothers who's six seven six eight, big old hunk of a guy, and he says, uh, "Man, it sure was growing up with three mothers, you know." So, <laughs> and so uh, there again is uh, they still look to her as kind of a mama figure in their lives, um, and let's see, Linda, you were well, you five sisters, five girls, weren't you? What's it? Six. That's right. Six. Five sisters. I keep forgetting that. And, but you were right there in the middle somewhere, weren't you? Uh, was your oldest sister kind of the mother type or the one or, the, or was the one of them that kind of asserted the, you didn't have that? Okay. Well, who was the, who was the head person in your family or in the, the lead girl? Oh, okay, I won't mention because it's on the internet and I don't want the rest of the sisters to say it. <laughs> but there again, you usually pick out that person. And whoever that person is, in the Old Testament, they were designated. Remember, the oldest person was Esau, but the younger was the firstborn. You look at Joseph, and he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the oldest. But when Jacob adopted them, basically when he was putting his hands on them, he was not only blessing them, but he was adopting as a son so they could become tribes. But what did he do? He put his hand over, let's see, whichever way it was. He put his hand on Ephraim, the younger, and said, he is the firstborn. And that made Joseph mad, remember? He got upset about that. And so we see that that can be designated. It's not the birth order, it is the position. That counts. David 
was not the firstborn. In fact, he was a baby, but yet really he became the king. He became, you know, the spiritual head of the family. And there's several times you can see that in scripture where the firstborn was designated by God or they became. Joseph actually was the firstborn. He got the double portion and he was number 11. And so you see how that, uh, uh, that God, uh, God works. And so the firstborn is not a birth order. And so that means that Jesus Christ was not the first person created. It means he has a position designated by God the Father that he is the spiritual head of all creation. And so we see that Jesus Christ holds the office of the firstborn, a position. He was not created. Because really, if you go on and explain this, now what happens is that this verse, as well as they will take and pervert, and actually the Jehovah's Witnesses rewrite John 1, 1 through 3. And they make it so that it's very muddled as far as, is Jesus Christ really the Word of God? Did he, so was, he, was Jesus the Word? And they kind of leave him out because it's Jehovah. Well, Jesus is Jehovah <laughs> of salvation. So Jesus is God. And so they leave him out. And I said with the Mormons, you can become a God because he was the firstborn. And so as he became God, we become God. Now, and then other people will add to it. So we see not only is he our, our redeemer, but he is the head of all creation. And we were, it is he that has made us, not we ourselves. So positionally, Jesus Christ is the firstborn and that I follow. He's the spiritual head of the church. And we'll see that he'll get into it later. And so note, if they would just go to the next verse and take it literally, then it would explain uh, verse 15. He says, for by him, capital H, who? God the Father or God the Son? Jesus Christ, the Son, the firstborn. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. So who created your thought? Who created your intelligence? Who created your emotions? Who created your, whole, your soul? Who created it? Jesus Christ. And so there again, uh, creation is such a vital doctrine in the Bible, and that's why it's attacked. Because either God created us or it just was thrown out there and everything's by chance. And so since I'm so smart and I'm a Gnostic and I've been Ivy League school, which I have, but you know, that's the way they think. But I've got a little bit of education. I'm the PhD in this room. Uh, somebody did that. They showed something where they were having one of these meetings and they were different. And the one, one uh, you know, sissified, I don't want to get into it. But anyway, he was not an impressive uh, man, uh, specimen of manhood uh, that I saw. But he stood up and said, I'm the PhD in this room. And everybody goes, big deal. You know, uh, my dad was a PhD. He said he was a PhD from the eighth grade. I was a post hole digger. And so, you know, he, and so uh, uh, there again is uh, simply because you have, that you've earned a degree and passed a few tests doesn't mean you're wise. And wisdom comes from God. The, the fear of God is what, the beginning of wisdom. Who created wisdom? And who gave it to you? And why can you know how to have enough sense to get out of the rain? 
because God gave it to you. Who gave it to you? God the Son gave it to you. And so we see that uh, for the first word, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that's the angels, and everything else, anybody, other beings, whatever you want to call them, seraphim, whether they're angels or not, and we talked about that earlier, um, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, so that's what we've just talked about, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and that's where we get our ranks of angels or whatever is going on around us. And that's why I love that passage that we looked at on Wednesday night. And I'll be referring to it quite a bit. Uh, just was saw, seeing a man that uh, he's with the Lord now, but he was preaching to a smaller group. And he said, you know, uh, we got a crowd of crowd here tonight. And everybody's kind of looking around, empty pews and everything. He said, and he turned to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and he says, we are surrounded by an innumerable uh, a company of angels. So, yo, know, if they're up there, I don't hear them, but one day I will. So we got angels, and we know in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we know that, they're, uh, that God teaches the angels through his church, his multifaceted wisdom. I don't understand that. And I don't think, that, well, the angels can't either until he teaches them. But what is God doing with us? And what is he doing by teaching angels and then allowing them to worship with us. That's eerie, <laughs> really, you think. But then again, I don't want to get too much on it because then we get into mysticism and there's angels all sitting in the seats. And let's name them. Well, there's only, as we said, there's only two, three that are named in the Bible. You know, Satan uh, or Lucifer and uh, Michael and Gabriel. So, and then you get into all those other books. There's seven of them that were named by the apocryphal books. And then you get into Raphael and all that. No, you get into mysticism. How many angels? And this is how mystic it became. How many angels can uh, stand on the head of a pen? Boy, isn't that something we need to spend hours thinking about? No. And so, but that's how mystic it got in the Middle Ages when we're trying to think of the mysticism of God. Well, no, uh, he is, uh, and by him all things were created, whether it be in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all things were created, the King James says, by him or through him and for him. And that uh, conjunction there in uh, the Greek is either through or by him and for him. Uh, he is before all things. Notice he was before all things. And in him, all things consist. In other words, he was before anything was ever created. And in him, everything that was ever created consists. It holds together. And so, you know, pull yourself back together. No, the Lord Jesus can, can pull you together, you know. So uh, you consist. Uh, the very, you, everything about this universe is controlled by the power of God. And so he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. That's the reason we worship Jesus Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There again, position. Uh, we were dead in our unrighteousness and sins, but now we have been reconciled. How did Jesus become the firstborn from the dead? Did he not die? Did he not become sin for us? 
who knew no sin. That, so he was the one who became sin, but the power of the resurrection re defeated sin. And now he's the firstborn from the dead. And I was dead in my unrighteousness of sin, but he made me alive, alive through the spirit. So see it all, how it all works together? It's complicated and yet it's simple. And when you start trying to leave Jesus Christ out of it, that's, that's when you get into all the cults and all the confusion that's out there. He says that in, all, in him, uh, that he should receive first place, preeminence. Jesus Christ is the center of it all. And when we bring him down to our level, then we're getting into problems. So we see, first of all, he is our redeemer. Without his blood, there's no remission of sins. We see that he is our creator. And we see that he is our sustainer. He's the one who holds us together. And he is the one who says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And so he is the one who blesses. And notice, it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. So when we're full of the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, then we're full of Jesus, are we not? In him all things dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. And so the only way that you can be reconciled, my friend, is not through your works, not through uh, anything else except the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, in saying that, we have to be careful in what he's going to do, and we'll have to just finish this up. <clears throat> um, Paul is going to start going into the different superstitions, the false religions, and how that they are going to try to draw people away from Jesus Christ. Uh, many times on the mission field, uh, missionaries will go in and win people to the Lord, but then uh, uh, false cults or the Catholics are good about this, is going to say, but look, I mean, this is too simple. You need to add these other things to it. And that's one way they, you know, you have to be careful with that. Same way with uh, uh, the Mormons when they go in. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses love to meet Baptists because they know Baptists don't really know much about the Bible. And so they could start filling it in all for them and get them all confused because so many Baptists, I'm free, you know, I'm saved, once saved, always saved, I can live the way I want to. No, you live the way that God wants you to or you're going to be totally confused or uh, I'm not even sure you can be, you know, you're not even going to be sure that you're saved. You're going to be drawn off in all kinds of different cults and isms and everything else. And so if you tell, oh, if, uh, guess what they're doing? They're out there this morning. They're out knocking on doors. Why? They're, and they're looking for people that say that they're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or because, boy, uh, they know those people know a little bit about the word. And so they can start, oh, so you do. And so they start identifying what they know. And then they start drawing them in and say, but this is what you really need to know. And that's how they, most of their converts come from Protestant denominations. It's interesting. And so it is with the Mormons and other people. Um, and so that's what we'll look at. He's going to be going through this, the superstitions and the uh, Judaizers and the Gnostics and the false religionists and all these people. Is The book of Colossians is really a philosophical book. He counters the philosophies of this world. Okay, we're going to have to close there. But uh, the main thing, he's our redeemer. Without him, there's no, redemption, no remission of sins. 
He is our creator. Without him, we don't even have an existence. And he is our sustainer. He's the one who holds us together. And everything comes into the preeminence of God. And if you leave him out, you've left out a major portion of what life is all about. Because all things were created by him and for him. And so when we learn to walk with him, then we're learning to walk in his ways. And that's where I have come that you may have life and that you may have it what? More abundantly. So we want to have the life that God wants to give to his people. We were created in his image. So let's let his image, you know, fulfill us and, and conform to his image. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Now we pray that you would use it in our lives. Lord, help us to know how to counter the forces of Satan. And Lord, keep you as the king of our lives. We crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest we forget thy thorn crown brow, lead us to Calvary. Lord, keep us close to the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream comes from Calvary's mountain. Oh Lord, keep us close to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.